All right. I'm going to stick to my notes today. <laughs> Fine. So the reason is because I, I don't want to get sidetracked. I want to get through this. And I have a funny feeling there's no way I'll get through it. But I'm going to try. Um, we're going to go on to part two. The rest of grace. What does it mean? And the last week we talked about, uh, the last three weeks, realizing and resting in your identity is the first step in uh, uh, living out the rest of grace. The doing of grace. You be- it begins with knowing your identity. We've hammered that one to death here for the last 12 years. So today, I'd like to grow up and grow on. Discover and develop your abilities is what we're going to talk about. Shortly before he died, George Bernard Shaw asked by, was asked by a reporter, Mr. Shaw, if you could live your life over again and be anybody you know or any person from history, who would it be? And without hesitation, Shaw replied, I would choose to be the man George Bernard Shaw could have been, but never was. That's really big. I would choose to be the man George Bernard Shaw could have been, but never was. And that's something for us to wake up to today. A lot of us have um, a recording running through our minds, a negative one, that we are nothing, that we are no good, we're just average, and will never amount to much. This is my lot in life, going to the garden to eat worms. That is what could be happening through people's subconscious voices. Even though on the outside, life's happy and wonderful, of course, praise the Lord. I mean, you, you can't know what's running inside people's heads. You just don't know. Never assume. Each of us have been allotted a number of days to spend in this world. All of us. Your time is limited, did you know? <laughs> have you noticed nobody gets out alive? <laughs> it's true. But all believers have been given a desire to fulfill the plan God has given to them. But you may not know what that plan is, or you may not realize it, or you may not believe there is a plan. You may think, hey, it's just happening by chance. Door number one, two, or three, and then you have a whole new set of doors after that. Who knows? You don't want to reach the end of your journey on this earth and go, crap, I could have done different. I could have been better. Well, that's fearful thinking. You could think down the road and go, oh my goodness, I, can, I don't want to live with regret. But that means your focus is now on regret, not on your living Lord who lives in you. Once a day, oops, I'm going to show you a short video clip if we could have the sound on for this, please. And lights off.
Usually we think of when, it, when somebody says live your dreams, uh, we, we run to these big grandiose ideas in our heads. Oh, I want to do that. I want to be this. I want out of my rut is really what most people want. What if the rut is not a rut? What if it is the exact place you are to be right now? But God wants you to change your mind about your view, about your perspective. Are you okay with that? Or are you going to do a huff and puff? I don't want to hear this message today. Nope. I want, I want to change. I want my circumstances to change. What if the Lord is calling you to know him more, which is an extraordinary change? Oh, but that doesn't sound so glorious. There's not a lot of attention in that one. <laughs> oh, yeah? Your attention is drawn to him. Let's change the way the world defines success. Psalm 90, verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. We don't like this one too much, and the only time we hear about this is at funerals. Teach us to number our days. Your days are numbered. It could be tomorrow. It could be in 25 years. You could live to be 105. You don't know. You could do all the exercising in the world and, and your whole focus is on trying to be fit to live longer and yet you could die suddenly from something completely different. It's amazing where we can focus our time. I, by the way, I encourage exercise. It's really important. <laughs> just so you know. I'm just saying there's some people that are so obsessed with it that consumes them. It is their life. And you can all pick your own. We all have our little obsessions of ways we redirect our attention. Psalm 39 says this, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and that my life is fleeing away. My life is no longer than the width of my hand. An entire lifetime is just a moment to you. Human existence is but a breath. We're merely moving shadows. And all of our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth for somebody else to spend. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? And he ends by saying, my only hope is in you. See, the first part, this is all depressing. But this part is the best. <laughs> well, that's not a very encouraging message. How does that fit in today? I'll tell you how it fits in. Wake up and smell my good coffee I made this morning. <laughs> okay? There is good news on the horizon, but it has to be done in the context of real life and the real warnings in Scripture. Your life is short. The stuff you've been fighting about and arguing about, most of it will never matter. The relationships that have been severed because of stupid arguments and misunderstandings, and most of it is misunderstandings, are for what? Life's too short. We need to think about this. We need to learn to count our days and choose to live well. 
Our days are a commodity that can be spent bringing honor to God, loving and serving others. Our lives are to be a testament of his faithfulness and love. We're the representation of the life of Christ in human form. We are it. We get to walk it out wherever we are. The rut you live in, that's where you live out Jesus. That's where you know him and act in the ways he wants you to act through your unique giftedness and personality. You don't want to bumble through this life struggling to find a game plan for living when he is your living game plan. He is your plan. It's not some hard thing to figure out. It's not some, where's the will of God? And God comes along and says, see this huge ocean beach, like 25 miles long of white sand? There's a tiny diamond there somewhere. Your job is to find it, and when you do, that's the perfect will of God. How stupid is that? How unloving is that? And yet that's the picture of this God we say we believe in. It's so much better than that. He's put the diamond in us. You're possessed by the greatest riches, the greatest wisdom, the greatest power, the power of God. Psalm, click, please. 139.16 says, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. In your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Hmm. What's this saying? Your days are planned. Well then, how do we account for all the screw-ups? How do we account for all the mistakes we make? Let me guess. Just guess that perhaps God already knew the mistakes you were going to make and has already counteracted and kept his divine order in place. That he still can use the mistakes you make, even the ones that have horrific consequences in people. Bad choices have consequences. That's a fact. How we live matters. Your behaviors matter. For so many years, I say, oh, it doesn't matter how you behave. You may have heard that. It's not what I meant, and I may have said it, but it's not what I meant. Your behavior matters in this. You can choose to live according to the behaviors God wants you to behave and act out because he knows that those have good consequences. Or you can try and live independently and live out of that and suffer the consequences of those. And yet there's grace there too. In the darkest spot, in the darkest choices, there is grace, forgiveness, and mercy. And it's easy to run back into our mistakes in our mind and live there, woe is me, nobody likes me, going to the garden to eat worms. You're not called to live there. You're made for greatness. Greatness has been put into you. The book of Hebrews 12 verse 1 teaches us that there is a cloud of witnesses watching, standing just beyond the veil which separates time and eternity. And they are there to encourage us to move onward and upward. We don't know what that looks like. It's almost like this dimension that we can't see, but perhaps it's here. And, it, and there are angels, who knows what, watching right now, right on this other side of this. I don't know what this is, 
But it's supernatural and stuff I can't understand. But once I'm out of this body, I'll sure be able to see clearly. That's why I believe when many people are passing away, they look and see things differently. I've heard this story so many times of people are watching and reaching out for something or somebody. And if they stay around long enough, they end up talking a little bit about it. But there's something now. They, they, it's like the veil is, is disintegrating. They're starting to see spiritual. And they see angelic beings. Some say they say Jesus. I think they see angels. Because angels have two jobs that I know of for sure. One of them is they're ministering angels. So they're ministering to us. Secondly, it's a job of ushering people into the presence of God. Your own taxi service. It's amazing. It's free. But as they are going, they're ministering. Which asks a lot of questions of what we've been taught about the afterlife. It begs to challenge the answers we've been given about the afterlife. Is it absolute that once you die, that's it, sucker? No more chance to make any choices. Hmm. That's what I've been taught. I am not comfortable with that anymore. But I'm also not dogmatic about the other stuff. I, I'm learning and growing, and I'm finding more hope in my eschatology of end times than I've ever dreamed of, and I'm not ready to share it with you yet. I'll tell you why. If I don't believe it, I can't teach it. I've been called a McVeighite or little Steve McVeigh by people. Oh, you just, you just believe everything he tells you. Guess what? He's my mentor. He's my teacher. He's the one who's coached me through good and bad. At least I have somebody. So the person who usually accuses me listens to all these other radio teachers and that's their mentor, but oh no, I can't have one. And so, as I've been growing for the last 15 years, and Steve's been speaking into my life for 15 years, it's taken time for him to have said some things, and I didn't know how to take it. So, oh, I don't know, Steve. And it was wrestling and wrestling and wrestling. It had to become my own truth. And then I started to see things. What? No way. And he just sat back and smiled. <laughs> he just saw this, this kid, light bulbs turning on left, right, and center. And what about this scripture? Oh, I never saw it like that before. This is what I'm asking you for, church, bride of Christ, to open your eyes and be teachable for what the scriptures can show you through the Holy Spirit. There's so much more. Dare not and be not satisfied with your journey. If you come to a place of, okay, I'm satisfied. I'm good. I've learned all I need to. Heaven, please come quickly. There are a lot of believers who are in that place. They just want the end to come. They're excited about earthquakes and wars. Oh, the end is coming quicker. Yay! Turn and burn, people. <laughs> I'm going to heaven. You fool. Do you hear what you're saying? selfishly, I am making it, you're not. That is not the Jesus I know. The Jesus I know, pause, there's still another one. To help them up. To reach out in mercy. He stopped an execution. 
because grace and mercy is greater than human justice. Biblical justice is good. Human justice has got it all backwards. And he's called us to be the ambassadors, to be the voice of truth and grace where we live, to stand up for, not fight, stand up for grace and truth. There is a blueprint for your life, but now we move forward and discover how to develop our abilities because grace is not passive. Enough of sitting on our duffs. Those that need to, no problem. But many are ready and need almost an electric cattle prod. You know, let's go. Uh, It's time to get moving and applying the truth you already know. It's nice to sit in that warm, hot tub of grace. Oh, it feels so good. Yeah. That is good, but you're not called to stay there. That's a relaxed time. It is imperative to realize that the doing of life must come from our sense of being in Christ. Our value comes from Christ alone, not what we do. There is, however, another side of the coin. Here's it. Here it is. Once we clearly are grounded in the realization of our identity in Christ, and once we know we have nothing to prove by what we do, then there are some things to do. I've been set free from the performance trap. I find, though, that because of the realization of who I am, I now want to do some things. Now, I made an error learning grace, and the error was this. Anything performance was legalism. It's not true. And I'll tell you why. Ouch. This could hurt for some of you. There's been this spiritual arrogance of baby Christians who take identity in Christ, resting in Christ, as a place where nobody can tell me what to do. There isn't anything left to do. You don't tell me. That's legalism. As soon as you tell me what to do, it's legalism. No, it is not. Legalism has to do with your standing with God, period, and only in that category. Because I've heard them also take it to their jobs and get fired for telling their boss, I'm under grace. I don't have to do what you say anymore. What? (laughs) You deserve to get fired if you're that, you know? It's happened. You see, performance in your job matters. You better perform, and you better do a stinking good job, or bye-bye. Our youth today are going to have a hard time. The work ethic is crashing. Performance matters. You do a good job, you're rewarded for it. You get a paycheck. Nancy, you do a lot of work at home hardware, right? Evaluating systems. Evaluating how do they perform or underperform. Performance does matter. Hear things in context. But when it comes to my Heavenly Father and I, I don't have to perform to be liked or loved or accepted. But once I got that, now I want to perform and do the things He's called me to do. 
To work under the authority of where I've been placed or placed myself. So at my job, I'm under the authority of my jobs, my, my, my leaders there. At the church, you have a leadership that, that's been given to the church to help structure and organize things. I've even been accused of being a legalistic grace pastor because we have rules here in the church. Even though I say we don't have rules, we do have rules. We have no rules when it comes to being accepted by God. But there are systems here. For structure and order. Otherwise, it's some weird, chaosy, airy-fairy thing of doing whatever the heck we want. And there's no child safety program. There's no order in science school. Even in, some people say, well, we should have a very free order of service to do whatever we want. I would love that. But do you know, the only time we could do that is when we're in tight, good relationship with each other and the Holy Spirit. And I don't think we know each other well enough yet. The more you invest in your family, you'll start to see worship become far more intensely acceptable. You're going to encourage others. Those of you, okay, if I can, okay, rabbit trail. I was going to stick to my notes. <laughs> Sorry. This is an encouragement for you charismatics. The charismatics are the ones who put their hands up. I'm kidding. <laughs> My mother was not a charismatic, but in the Baptist church she was in, they tried to encourage people to raise hands, so they'd bring up the hymn books, and in the hymn book, they slide in their hand. It's really funny. The heart was good, right? It's funny. Those that come in and, and are able to, in their personality and expression of worship, including the style that they've learned from other churches, those that are able to express themselves, hands up and clapping and all that stuff, I love you guys. Thank you, Ralphie. I knew you'd like that. <laughs> we need that. Not so that we become crazy yahooey, but we need a heck of a lot more balance. We need it. Those that enjoy watching it may not participate. So those that are doing it, don't be offended when others don't. Because I sometimes don't. I just like watching. And you're an encouragement to me. And it redirects my attention to Christ. Because of your actions. It doesn't mean we get to dance over the thingies and swing from the chandeliers and all that. You know, I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about an authentic thing. And here's the other thing. Thanks to a guy named Martin Schmidt, who used to come here a long time ago, he taught us something about worship. He came in, walked into the church, sat in the front row. That was weird. Guests just don't do that. And so he sat in the front row for first Sunday there. As we started singing, I saw him look around a little bit, and then he, I thought he was going to leave. I thought, oh no. So he goes to the back, the back wall. Oh my goodness, and he's worshiping his way, just, just so as to not be a distraction, but an encouragement, because he realized this is not about me, but he brought a gift to hope. So we're not here about shoving agendas. We're here about walking with the spirit of what he is doing in this place. Can you handle that? Something's happening. I don't know what it is. But maybe it's happening in me. That's where a lot of work's starting to happen right now. I'm going, I don't have time to share it all. But there's a redirecting and a refocusing happening inside my heart for this church. And I have seen some things we've done wrong or just missed. Accidentally, I can give you a list of excuses. But the Holy Spirit's big enough to get our attention, and he is, and he has. And he's going to do his work and continue to do his work because he has a plan for this church. 
We've not arrived, but we have a lot of growing to do. And this series is part of that growth. This series is challenging me. Grace is grounded in being, but it equips us to be all that we can be and do all that we can do. Acts 1.8 says this. You will what? Receive power. Oh my goodness. When? When will we receive power? Holy Spirit. Was the Holy Spirit already there? Yes. But it was going to be manifested differently. Be careful. There's a lot to learn in the book of Acts. But don't make a complete theology out of an event that you see there and think it needs to be repeated. While it can be, it's wonderful. But don't overdo it. Let the Spirit speak because I think there's a transitioning going on. The finished work of the cross happened where? At the cross? But was it all done? Were all the prophecies finished? No, but Jesus said it was finished. So what could have happened? Well, the, the whole Jewish system was still in place, was it not? Wait a minute. There's 70 more years or 40 more years till AD 70 when it came to a complete end. And then, oh my goodness, that system was finished. So there's an overlap of covenants going on. Wow. Under the new, but the old was still living out its stuff. Hmm. We have more to learn than we thought. Open your eyes to see what the Spirit is teaching. You shall receive power, and you have received power. You have the power of Christ in you to do everything he's equipped you to do and he calls you to do. But sometimes, if we are too young in the faith, we can run ahead easily with good ideas, thinking it's God and has nothing to do with God, and he's okay with that. <laughs> He's okay with that because he'll, he'll still redirect you. He says, this is your learning curve. You've got some things to learn. Because you're learning to hear my voice. You're learning to hear what could be close and what isn't and what is my voice. Your potential is unlimited because you have an unlimited power living inside of you. You are destined for more than just to loiter around planet Earth for the rest of your life. Just waiting to get out. Some people think the world's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And according to media, if that's your Bible, yeah, it's getting worse, uh, supposedly, because all you hear is the garbage. What if, what if it's not getting worse, but better? What if? Which God does that sound like? worth chewing on. Nelson Mandela over 20 years ago said this in his inaugural speech in 1994. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us most. <laughs> we ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and famous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that people won't feel insecure around you. 
You were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us, it's in all of us. And when we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Oh, I want to be around people like that. Nelson Mandela. I almost think he was a preacher. Folks, it's amazing what we think about and how we think about ourselves and how it affects us and the self-talk we have. We learned in our first lesson about unlocking the doorway to living our dreams is to recognize and rest in our identity. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, but there's more coming. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me is the first part of Isaiah 61. Listen. Being must precede doing. That's obvious. But the second key is the bridge that joins knowing who we are with reaching our full potential. Isaiah said it is because the Lord has anointed me. That's the next sentence. The Lord has anointed me. That I have the potential I now possess. Knowing who I am provides what I need to do for all that God plans for me to do. Activity is the offspring of understanding our identity. If there's no activity, there's no fruit, I've got some questions for you. Really? I've been coming to this church for 49 years. That's my chair. I donate, I put a plaque on it. It's mine. And you've done what? Nothing. It's crazy. Jesus in John 17, 4 has some things to say. I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus accomplished what he came to do. <laughs> if Jesus said that, who else could have also said that? See, living from his union with the Lord, with God, Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled the plan the Father had for him in this world. He accomplished all the Father desired by living through Jesus. That's how he did it, while abiding. It was Jesus' only responsibility to listen for the voice of his Father. Not to have the master to-do list. To-do lists are important for your performance of living in a home. Remember, to get all the stuff done that has to get done in a home and your job and all that stuff. That's important. But when it comes to fulfilling what God has called you to do in every circumstance, it is about listening to his voice. Hearing him. Being loved and loving others. That's the fruit of abiding. James 2.20 says, Faith without works is dead. I challenge you who profess to know who you are in Christ. Why does a passive lifestyle seem so comfortable? Enough. I don't have to. I'm under grace. That's right. You don't have to. You get to. When are you going to participate in the body? When are you going to grow up from child to teen or young adult and become a participant as a functioning family member? with roles and responsibilities, loving and caring for one another, 
The early church was a fantastic system that grew and developed because of the needs. They had to appoint leaders to help structure the growth and change so people wouldn't get missed out. <laughs> Paul even said, My depart- time of departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. What a great line. I have a funny feeling that if we say, so, would you like to be able to say that on your final day? If we pound that one hard, and it's a good, a good question, but if we pound that too hard, now you're going to be focused on making sure you have something good to say at the end of your day. <laughs> I think the only way you can say these lines is on that day. When the peace of Christ confirms Ah, you can rest. I've done all I can do through you now. I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. But that comes on that day. You don't work yourself towards that. Can you hear the difference? Paul said he'd finished the course set out for him by God. <laughs> what is an os? Yeah, Timothy, there we go. Anointing. Oh, boy. Should I? Should I not? I think I'll wait. Anointing. Next week we're going to come back to what is anointing? I think it's better than what you think. It's not as crazy as you think either. Let's kill some myths of what we think anointing is. And watch what the Holy Spirit has done. But I'm going to promise you this. You have been anointed Every one of you. You don't grovel for it. You don't beg for it. You don't get somebody to come up and get you anointed. You are anointed. When you discover that, the powerhouse begins to live through you. Because you can't live out of what you don't believe. For some, there's still believing that has to happen. (laughs) All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, change our minds about how we see you and how you see us. Show us that we've been called to do great things. And these great things can be done in what the world may call mundane or in the ruts of life. Redeem the ruts. Redeem the mundane, redeem the boring, redeem the tedious, so that we may find your will and purpose in all those little details, so we can leave this place encouraging one another, not looking down or up at anyone as we are all equal, that we all have been given a purpose, for we all have the same life, the life of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.